Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. Answer to prayer, you know, we Amen. pray for us, Amen. pray for a, a, a pianist and one who could really play. <laughs> and uh, you know, so many play at it, but uh, she, she, she really does make the music come alive. And we thank the Lord so much. Amen. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the third chapter of the book of Revelation as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. Um, The third chapter, and we're going to be looking at the first to six verses. Very, uh, very profound, if you will, all of these letters to the various churches that uh, were written to, both there in ancient time in which they existed, but also to the church throughout Christendom, throughout the history of the church, as well as to the contemporary church, to the church today, and also to us as individual Christians. Stop and think for a moment what it would be like if one of these letters was written or addressed to us. What, what would it say? What would that letter say? And if it was written to us individually, we you know, went out to the mailbox and, and lo and behold, there's this letter written to us. Your names is on that letter. Open it up and, and as you begin reading, oh my goodness, what kind of response well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's read. Father in heaven, we come to you, and we thank you for the beauty, the preciousness, and the nature, the unconditional nature of your love. Such perfect and complete love that you have for us, your children. And not just for us, for all humanity. The truth that you desire for all people to know you, to enter into a relationship with you, to be at peace with you. 
Father, we thank you that you care for us and that you sent your Son to die upon the cross in our place, giving his life, paying the penalty for our sins, a price that we could not pay, a price far too high for us to pay, yet he paid it in full. And we thank you, O Lord, that you've given to us your holy word that teaches us about you and about your love for humanity and for each one of us individually and for the love that you have for your church. And we pray that as we study this passage today, illuminate our understanding, enable us to, to understand and to see, to hear your voice, your voice, O Lord, by your Holy Spirit, to the glory and to the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we as your church and as your people individually take to heart the message that you give us today. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. So beginning at verse number one in the third chapter in the book of Revelation. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The message of Revelation to the seven churches here to the church of Sardis. Just a little historical background. Sardis, like the other churches, located in Asia Minor, what is today modern-day Turkey. It's on the western uh, side of, of Turkey. And it's approximately 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, which we looked at uh, last week. It was a, uh, one of the oldest cities in the, uh, in the area, established around 1200 uh, BC. Now the church was established sometime in the first century. There's no exact date on that. And the congregation was a mixed congregation. 
made up primarily of uh, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. They had a reputation. And notice this reputation that Jesus says it has. It has a reputation that it's alive, but actually it's dead. And what was left was, was dying. It had a reputation that it was the, uh, it was the place, okay? <laughs> it was the church. It was the place or the church of what is happening today. You know, if you are somebody, you are in that particular church. You know any churches like that today? <laughs> yeah. They had all of the fancy music. Now, we're not speaking negatively of Mrs. Ginger's music. Amen? We're in natural orphanage. But it had, you know, probably this fancy, fancy building. Maybe they even had multicolored carpet, you know, and, and uh, the fanciest of pews and the fanciest of furnishings. And perhaps, you know, great speakers passed through there and spoke from time to time. Do you know what an expert is? An expert, especially in church and church work, an expert. The qualification as an expert is someone who lives at least 50 miles away from the place where he or she is speaking. But because they come from, you know, at least 50 miles away, they can tell you the same thing that your preacher's been telling you for the last several years, or the teacher or whoever, but because they've come from someplace else, and they're Mr. or Miss So-and-so, <laughs> they're the expert, they come and they tell you, and oh, people just fall all over, you know, what they've said, yet they've been saying the same thing that the other person's been saying for decades. A lot of churches like this. One of the things you discover when you're a pastor, and if you've pastored uh, for years, all of these programs, all of these different programs that are all designed to help your church prosper and grow, and to be one of these, these in churches. And all too often, the most important person that they leave out in all of that is God the Holy Spirit. It is God the Holy Spirit to the honor and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who empowers a church. You see, this church in Sardis was a happening place. It had this reputation that it was the happening church. But what did Jesus say? You have this name, this reputation, right? That you're alive, but you're dead. And notice the one who is speaking. This is the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks. These things says he. He, and it says, who has the seven spirits of God. It's a phrase referring to to the effulgence, the, the fullness, the overflowing Holy Spirit. The Bible says that 
that Jesus, in his earthly ministry, that the Spirit was within him and upon him without limit, because he is God the Son. And he ministered in the power of God the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. We just sang the hymn, Holy, 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 Blessed Trinity, Amen, our God, has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no other God. One. And then the seven stars. And if you were paying attention in the Sunday school lesson this morning, and for those of you who aren't in Sunday school, you are robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself of that spiritual growth, that opportunity to grow in your relationship with the Lord and in your understanding of the Word. But in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, says that we're to shine like stars, you know, to shine like stars. And someone said the, the, the stars shine brightest at midnight. The stars are still out there, right? Even though it's daytime. <laughs> but you only see them right when, when night falls. But we are to be stars. But these, these stars refer, over in the first chapter, he, he refers them to the, to the angels. But that word angelo in the, in, the, in the Greek can also be translated messenger, and in certain cases referring to the pastor of a particular church, the messenger. But notice that Jesus holds them in his hand. And Jesus, in teaching, he said that the Father holds each one of us in his hand. We are held in the hand of God, and no one is able to pluck you out of my Father's hand. And that means you can't take yourself out of the Father's hand, because he is more powerful than anything, than any being, than anyone. And he holds us in his hand. Ah, but I know your works. I know what goes on in the church, and I know what goes on in your individual lives. Nothing can be hidden from the Lord. So this name, you have this name that you're alive but you're dead, as we've mentioned. There are many churches that have a certain appearance. They have this appearance that they're alive. Because there's all kinds of activity. You know, there are churches, they have something going on every single day and night of the week. And sadly, in many cases, the leaders put so much pressure on people or they guilt trip them into being involved in all these different activities so that their families actually suffer. And the relationships between parents, between the husband and the wife and, the, and then the parents and the children and, and others become negatively affected. I don't believe that was God's intent. God's intent is for families to be strengthened and for the church to be strengthened. 
And I tell you, there's a lot to be learned just by observing animals. You notice that cows usually, they don't get into much of a hurry, do they? <laughs> you know, when you're taking your trips and you're driving and you're in the countryside, do you see cows getting into much of a hurry? No. <laughs> no. He goes on, he says, be watchful. Be watchful or, or wake up, be alert, be on guard. Be on guard, wake up. There is a tremendous amount of apathy in the church today. Now there are some who believe that Sardis refers or is, or is um, uh, characteristic of the period of time of the Reformation. A couple hundred, two, three hundred years there in the period of the Reformation. The period of dead Protestantism. And we're called Protestants, why? Because Martin Luther started off by protesting. But remember that he was a Catholic monk. And he protested because as he began uh, doing something, that, uh, stop for a moment and consider. He actually began reading the Bible. And when he began reading the Bible, he began to discover the Lord of the Bible. And when he came to know the Lord of the Bible, his life was transformed. Did you know there was a period of time when the church, and we're talking about the, the state church, and we talked a little bit uh, a few weeks ago about the, the church being wedded to the state, and they, they took control. And they, they ruled it and, and governed it but there was a period of time in the church when the church, the state church, said the common person could not have the Bible. They weren't worthy of having the Bible. That only, and remember we talked about that, that doctrine, the clergy and the laity, two different castes or, or types or groups of people, the clergy, they were above, and the laity, they were below. So they couldn't have their own copy of the scriptures. But when Martin Luther, when he came to know the Lord as his Savior, and as he read his Bible, he realized that God's word, God intends for all of his people to have his word, to have access to the word of God. And as he went through, he actually listed 95 complaints called theses. And he, he nailed that to the door of the church at Wittenberg. You know what happened to Martin Luther? The Catholic Church, which was the state church, excommunicated him from the church. And basically they said, he is damned to hell. That's what their position was. But the Reformation and Protestantism, if you will, was born. And as time has gone on, all of these different preachers, Protestants, ones who 
truly believe in the Word of God, continued to preach and to teach, and various Christian denominations were born. The Lord says, wake up, strengthen the things that remain, but are about to die. What do you have going on in your own individual life? Notice what he says here. I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember what you've been taught. But here's the sad, sad truth that I mentioned earlier. Do you know that there are actually more Christians who do not attend Sunday school or weekly Bible study than there are those who do? There was a time, especially in the churches in America, we would have services both in the morning as well as in the evening. And the church, the churches, the church buildings, if you will, had large, large attendance, both in the morning and in the evening. And usually in, in Baptist churches, you would have Sunday school, and you might have an early morning service, and then you'd have Sunday school in the middle, and then you have the, the later service. The first service might be at 8 o'clock. And then Sunday school, and then, and then the, the, uh, after Sunday school, the service at, uh, at around 11. Then it would meet back again in the evening at around 6 o'clock for what was called church training. And it was there during that church training period that all of the kids, all of the various ages, from, from the crib on up to, you know, over 100 years old, People would be trained and taught how to teach in Sunday school, how to lead a committee, what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be a witness. All of these different training programs would, would go on. Deacons would have a, a, a deacon training. All of this would happen every Sunday. And then on Wednesdays there would be prayer meeting and then Bible study, and then choir practice, and sometimes even committee meetings. But just a couple of days out of the week. But then from that grew all kinds of other things. And all kinds of other meetings throughout the week. And before you know it, people are having to, to decide whether or not they're going to be at home for dinner or down at the church for some, for some meeting. And all of this busyness. And, and you notice that life in America has become very busy. Except now in this last year and a half, you know, paying people to stay home. Because of the, the virus. But I say all that to say, sadly, there are many people who can't remember what they've been taught because they haven't been taught much. Because they haven't been present to be taught. You follow but there were some here, there were some here, and he said, remember, remember what you've been taught. And then hold fast, that is, trust and obey, like that old hymn, trust and obey, for there's no other way, right, to be happy in 
in Jesus, but to trust and obey, to hold back. Repent. To repent means to change one's mind, that the heart attitude, the mind, where your life is moving in a certain direction, you, you change, you, you agree with God, and you turn and you move into another direction, the direction that is pleasing to God. Now Jesus says, if you don't, if you choose not to, notice, right there, in the middle of verse 3, he says, therefore, if you will not watch, if you'll not wake up, if you'll not remember, if you'll not obey, if you'll not repent, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. And as we said last week, this is the loving, caring, kind, merciful, compassionate Jesus. You know, the world has this model, uh, this, this picture of Jesus that is not complete. It is an incomplete picture, but many Christians have an incomplete picture of the person of the Lord Jesus. Yes, he's loving and compassionate, gracious and kind. But he is also the judge. Make no mistake about it. Every church, every individual will be held accountable. And he says here he'll come as a thief. Now, you know, over in the book of First uh, Thessalonians, though, we read that, that the Lord's return will come or occur like a thief in the night. However, that day shouldn't, shouldn't be like a thief in the night for those of us who know him. You follow? Because we're not children of the darkness. That is, we're not children of the night. We're children of the morning. The children of light. And while we don't know the exact day or hour when Jesus will return, we are supposed to know when his coming is getting closer and about to occur. Now, how do we know that? And we've mentioned to the this to you many, many times. The timepiece, if you will, for God's clock is the nation of Israel. Make no mistake about it. God, through the prophets, proclaimed thousands of years ago all of the various things that would come upon Israel but that in the latter days he would draw them back from the four corners of the earth. Not that the earth is square. You know, there are people who say, the four corners. There are no four corners. So the Bible is wrong. Such a nonsense. But don't we, don't we speak of the earth as though there are four corners? North and south and east and west. <laughs> the four points of direction, if you will. But the Lord says that he would draw them back and replant them in, in the promised land. And guess what? They're there. They haven't been there for, for more than 1,700 years, but they're there. And the nation is there. Israel. Repent, I'll come as a thief. 
That is, he's going to hold us accountable. Now notice he goes on and he says, I have a few names who have not defiled their garments. In other words, they've lived lives dedicated to the Lord. Even in this church that was dead, there were still some people who were dedicated to the Lord. Even though the church was really dead. You know, you stop and consider. People say, well, I, I just don't think that God would send all of these different people to hell, you know, in the end. Well, first of all, God doesn't send anybody to hell. They choose to go there. You follow? Huge difference. Because the lake of fire was designed for the devil and those demons who followed him. God's intent is for humanity to live forever and to enjoy his paradise. However, those who choose to reject him, oh, sadly, will spend eternity in hell. But what do you do with Noah? It's estimated that there may have been as many as a billion people living on earth at the time of the flood. Now stop for a moment and, and let that sink in. But what if it was just one million people? Or what if it was just 100,000 people? Or maybe, what if it was just 10,000 people? And yet out of, out of 10,000, there was but one man who pleased God. And because he pleased God, his wife and his three sons and his sons' wives were saved. But just that one family, just that one. But God knew exactly who they were. Just as in Sardis, he says, there are a few names who have not defiled their lives with the immorality and the standard of the world. They are pure. They, notice, they shall walk with me in white. In other words, in the very presence of God. Those people who have given their hearts and their lives to him will walk in the presence of God. And the Lord knows each and every one. He says they are worthy. Now make no mistake about it. No one on the face of the earth has ever been worthy of God's love. There is nothing that we can do to earn his love. He loves us because he is a loving God. And the love that he has for us is perfect. Nothing we can do that will cause him to love us less, or to for him to love us less. Nothing that we can do that will cause him to love us more. Because his love is complete. It's perfect. And that's what that word really means in the scripture. That when it's used, uh, the word perfect actually means complete. God's love for us is unconditional. He loves the saint, and the sinner. He loves us. 
But we can choose to accept his love or we can choose to reject his love. But it is Christ Jesus who makes us worthy. His presence in our lives. He makes us worthy. Not something that we do, but rather Christ who makes us worthy. When a person comes to know Christ as Savior, when a person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he takes that person's sinfulness upon himself. That is, Jesus took it there at the cross. He paid the penalty as though he were guilty, even though he's innocent. And in its place, he gives us his righteousness and makes us worthy. You see how that works? There's a, a story in the, in the Gospels where the father, the king, the ruler of the land, he, his son is going to have a wedding. And so he, he tells his servants to go out and to invite people to, to, the, uh, to the wedding. But all these people are too busy. They've got other things going on. And so the ruler, he's, he says, well, go out into the byways, to the hedges. You invite street people, you invite the poor, you invite the lame, you invite everybody. Everybody. People that you find in the bushes, etc., etc. You bring them in. And so they, they go out, the servants go out, and they, they bring all these people. And here's the amazing thing. And then they provide them with wedding garments. Because everybody was supposed to have a wedding garment. So they, they come into the wedding, to the banquet. And they're provided this, this garment, you see. That garment gives them access. And so while the, while the banquet is going on, and the, the king, he's walking around, and, and he's... A, He's visiting with the guests, etc. He comes upon this one person who's in there, and he doesn't have a wedding garment. And he says, huh, how did you get in? Uh, how did you make it in here without the wedding garment? And he calls his servants and says, take this person and throw him out. He doesn't belong here. You see, Jesus enrobes us. He envelops us with his righteousness. The Spirit of God, God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ comes to live and to dwell within us. And he robes us in his righteousness so that when the Father looks upon us, he looks at us through his Son. That is what is so amazing. We all in here know that we're guilty, right? That we're sinners. We've all, we have all sinned. Now, if you're sitting in that seat, you say, well, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, then you need to read the Bible a little more. Or perhaps a lot more. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, notice that, it is a gift. You don't work for a gift. You work for a wage. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He and He alone makes us worthy.
He who overcomes, notice it says, will be clothed in white. And you can read that in Revelation chapter 19. And the name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Let's, let's, uh, let's turn there so you, can, so you can read that. In the same book, Revelation chapter 20. Chapter 20. Beginning at verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne. And this is the Apostle John. He's catching this vision of heaven. He says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Notice that plural now. So there are books kept in heaven, and guess what? Those books are accurate. No embellishing there. No deceit there. No embezzlement there. I think I'm running out of power on this. And the sea gave up the dead who, who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, as they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice that? As I've said many times before, I didn't write that. This is the Lord's word. And sadly, you know what's happened to the church over the years? They've watered down God's word. A dead church, a dead church preaches philosophy and waters down the word of God. Those churches, they, they, they don't want to sing the hymns that have anything to do with the sacrifice or the blood that was shed to pay the penalty for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the death of Christ upon the cross, there is no salvation. And God is going to hold the human race accountable one day. Now, I heard a quote. I, I, I hadn't heard Billy Graham say this, but, but I, I heard a very uh, well-respected a theologian say that he quoted Billy Graham as saying, If God doesn't judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Let that sink in. Let it sink in. And many, many scholars, many theologians, many preachers are saying, one of the next things on the horizon is the judgment of America. And many, including this preacher, believe that one of the things that has protected the United States thus far from significant judgment is the fact that America, even though it's been spotty, 
supports Israel. You say there are all these people who say, well, what does Israel have to do with it? Well, <laughs> do you remember the promise that God gave to Abraham? He who blesses you will be blessed. He who curses you will be cursed. That is an eternal law. Make no mistake about it. Israel is dear to the heart of God. And we as God's children are told in the Bible that we are to pray for Israel. We are to pray for the peace of Israel. We are to pray. And we are to stand by them. And sadly, a couple of administrations ago, the relations with Israel, oh my goodness. And today, it's even questioning. A few names. A few names. And Jesus says that their names will be confessed before God the Father and his angels. And I'm almost out of time. I want to read something to you about, we mentioned this about stars, stars who, who shine bright, names who, who remain faithful. This I uh, took from a, a book of expository sermons by W.A. Criswell, who was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of uh, Dallas long, long ago. Let me get my let me get my glasses out here so I I do him service. Just read this story here. The Covenanters in Scotland were hunted and shot down like animals. Four humble people gathered together in their cottages to study the scriptures, to pray to God, to exhort one another in the faith. They were called covenanters because they covenanted together to read the book, to pray, and to exhort one another in the faith. Isabel Weir was married to John Brown, called the Covenanter. When he performed the ceremony, the minister said to Isabel, hold him close to your heart, but also keep close by a winding sheet. You will need it. John Brown had 20 sheep. That was his living. But he loved God, and into the humble homes of the people he went to read the word to kneel in prayer and to teach them the riches of our Lord Jesus. Men hunted and tracked him down. An emissary of the state church by the name of Claverhouse took six soldiers to shoot him down before his humble cottage. They brought out his wife with a baby in her arms that she could witness the execution of her husband. John Brown asked if he might pray. He knelt down and prayed, and then stood up fearlessly, courageously, as a man of God ought to stand. The soldiers lined up before him to execute him. They looked at the man of God, they looked at his noble and courageous wife, and the little baby in her arms. All six of the men put down their muskets. They said, we cannot do it. Claverhouse cursed them in the name of the church took out his pistol 
walked to the, to the man John Brown and blew out his brains. When the martyr fell in his own blood, the murderer turned to Isabel Brown and said, and what do you think of your fine husband now? Isabel Brown replied, sir, I thought much good of him in life and now even much more in death. For the Lord says, they are worthy and I will confess their names before my father and before his angels. Is your Christianity real? Is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is it real? Or do you play it being a church member? Do you play it being a Christian? Is your light shining bright for the Lord who gave his life for you? Just a few things here left. So what do we learn from this passage? Well, the message is for all churches, which means it's for all people. The conditions are rarely as they seem on the surface, both in churches and in people's lives and in families and in neighborhoods and in nations. Nothing is hidden from the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot deceive God. He knows our heart. We're to remember, we're to trust and obey God's holy word. But it's real hard to remember something that you're not familiar with. You follow? And lastly, look at this beautiful, beautiful truth here. Our names are written in heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. But sadly, only those who know the Lord have their name written in the Book of Life. Give your heart, life, past, present, and future to the Lord Jesus Christ today and be forgiven restored and saved. God promises his paradise for those who love him. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing, Open my eyes that I may see. Praise. You make your decision for the Lord today. Maybe you're here today, you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, or you can't recall a time in your life when you truly asked him to come into your heart and into your life. You come to him today. Ask him to come in, to forgive you of your sin and to give you eternal life. Let's sing to him. We pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word. And we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.